Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Welcome to Session 2 of Unpacking the Mystery of Pentecost. This is Deacon Dave Pecco of St. Basil the Great Church in Brecksville, Ohio. To understand Pentecost beyond what we normally hear on Pentecost Sunday, that it is the birth of the Church, we really need to begin to look at the prophecies God gave us as he was preparing and laying out his plan to restore us to the intimacy we lost with him due to the sin of Adam. After Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, God began a plan to restore us to that intimacy, and that plan involved the sacrifice of the one Lamb of God for the sins of all, and it also involved the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God made us a promise in the Old Testament. In the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning with verse 33, that he would make a new covenant with us, and that he would write his law on our hearts. The important thing about that prophecy is this writing of the law on our hearts was in effect a redo of the writing of the law on tablets of stone. Those commandments which Moses received on Mount Sinai, 50 days after they left Egypt, after that night when the angel of death roared through Egypt, killing the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but passing by the Israelites who put the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorposts and on the lentils of their house. Fifty days after they had that event, Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the tablets, the law, written on stone. The problem is, we, like Adam, just couldn't keep the commandments. We sinned and continue to sin. So God comes back to us through the prophecy of Jeremiah and says that he's now going to write his law on our hearts. And he's going to do that. He tells us through the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 36, beginning with verse 26, that he's going to pour his spirit into us and change our hearts. So we have from God himself a promise that our hearts are going to be fixed on God, that we would automatically begin to do his will because the spirit in us changes us. And that is the promise of God, and that is what we see happening in the disciples on Pentecost Sunday. That 50 days before that Pentecost Sunday, Jesus breathed the Spirit upon them. And that breathing of the Spirit was this internal conversion, the beginning of this internal conversion of all of us, so that our hearts yearn for God long for God, seek God, 
It begins to move within us so that we begin to desire to be intimate with God, to pray, to encounter God in the scriptures, to encounter God's in songs and in books and in nature and in other people. So Pentecost is not just the birth of the church. It is a rebirth of us. It is a promise Jesus made to Nicodemus when he said that we could not enter the kingdom of heaven until we're born of water and of the Spirit. That same Jesus is calling you and I to follow him. Not to follow a formula of religious piety so that we feel good about ourselves, but to follow him into the very heart of God, into God's embrace, the embrace of the prodigal father. So as we ended our session one last week, I asked you a question, several questions, in fact. Question number one was, how do we, like the disciples, put ourselves into a position when we receive this outpouring of the Spirit, understanding that we have received the Spirit already in baptism, sealed in the Spirit in confirmation? The Spirit is always already within us. So how do we now stir it to flames, as James, James tells us we must do? How do we respond to the Spirit as it begins to move within us, to this new life that he's given us? Those are the questions we're going to try to answer for you today. And to understand those, we need to literally meditate on those prophecies we received. And all the other places in Scripture where Jesus and God is telling us about this Spirit, about his promise. So we have this prophecy from Jeremiah where God said he's going to write his law on our heart. But there was more to the promise of Jer God in Jeremiah. There was more than just writing the law on our heart. God said that we would know him. That we would not have to tell our neighbor and our brother about God because all would know him. And that knowing of God is an intimate word. The root word of it we find in Genesis chapter 4, where it says that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. The knowing of God is this intimate union of ourselves and God, this personal contact, this giving of our heart to God and giving of ourselves to God, and God giving himself to us. That is God's promise to us. And he says in that prophecy one more thing, and he said he would forgive and forget our sin. And if we can begin to just understand forgiveness and God's mercy, it prepares us to receive this Spirit. It opens us to embrace this new way of living, motivated by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, enlightened by the Spirit. Then God comes back to us in that prophecy of Ezekiel, and he tells us that he's going to pour his spirit into us and change our stony hearts into hearts of flesh. Hearts that yearn for God, long for God, desire to be with God. And then in a prophecy of Joel, he tells us that this spirit would be poured on all mankind. And last week we talked about how in the Old Testament, and even up until the time of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit was poured on a very special people, 
and a very special time in salvation history for dramatic events to happen and unfold. The outpouring of the Spirit on men and women was to change them, empower them to do the will of God, to make God's name known. And he also comes to us in a prophecy in Isaiah, in chapter 3. He refers to the, this promise of restoration and redemption. In verses 18 and 19 of that chapter, God says to us, Remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago. Consider them not. Behold, I am doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And he goes on and he talks about how this this thing that he's doing is going to bring life to barren places. Life to the desert. It is reminiscent of the prophecy, of the vision of Ezekiel. Where God brings him to the temple and he tells Ezekiel to look at the temple and tell him what he is seeing. And Ezekiel sees a trickle of water flowing from the temple. The temple which is believed to, to flow the blessings of God, from which flow the blessings of God. So we see this trickle of water and it begins to grow and deepen, so it becomes ankle deep instead of a trickle. Then as it continues to flow, it becomes knee high deep, and then waist deep, and then so strong you simply could not swim across it. And it flows out into the desert. And as it touches dry land and barren land, life comes, green things grow, trees, shrubs, grass, fish begin the team in the waters, animals and wildlife around the banks of the stream. Life comes from this water. And then Jesus tells us in John 6 that the living water will flow from him. It will flow from him to us. And John goes to say after Jesus says that this water, living water, that he longs to give us is flowing from him. John goes on to say that he was speaking of the Spirit, which had not come yet. So even up until the life and death of Jesus Christ, the Spirit had not come. And it did not come until Pentecost. And every time you see a reference to the Spirit, it brings newness. It brings life. It brings wholeness. It produces fruit. It changes us. Those words and those images of God, those words in the prophecy and the images given to us in the Scripture in the Old Testament, apply to us today. We should not be looking at Pentecost as something that happened in the past. Remember not the things of the past. Behold, I am doing something new. So even now, God is doing something new. Even as we sit in church on Pentecost Sunday and hear the scriptural description of the events of Pentecost, God can do then, as we sit there and listen to those words, what he did long ago to the disciples. The words that are recorded in scripture are not history, but they're living, a living word, ever-present to us just as God is ever-present to us. God promised that he will do something great for us, greater for us. And he says, now it springs forth. 
Don't you perceive it? We should not go to church on Pentecost to celebrate something that God did 2,000 years ago, which is only remembered as the beginning of the church. We should go to Mass on Pentecost Sunday to celebrate with expectant faith that what is being proclaimed is happening to us in our midst as it is proclaimed. Pope Paul VI, in a proclamation about Pentecost, said this, What the Church needs is a perpetual Pentecost. She needs fire in her heart, words in her mouth, and prophecy in her outlook. If you think about those words of Paul VI, you think they might be inspired, and you could be right. But all Paul VI was doing was echoing the words that Jesus said about Pentecost. It is a day when we should get our hearts on fire. Those tongues of fire which came upon the disciples are the tongues of fire that can come upon us and embolden us, purify us, inspire us, fuel us to go out and make the Spirit known, as Peter did that day. It is an internal conversion of heart that begins to happen to us on that day. And all we have to do is collaborate with the Spirit, to say, yes, let it happen to me as it happened to them. So how do we do that? Is it just that simple that all we have to do is say yes? What will make Pentecost happen in your life? What will make Pentecost happen in my life? What will make Pentecost happen in any life? And as always, the answer is given to us in the scriptures and through the teachings of the church. The way we should prepare for Pentecost is by going back to that event and reading about the Pentecost event in Acts chapter 2. But we need to read it in a way that has us preparing for the outpouring of the Spirit, just as it did on those 120 that were in that upper room that day. Preparing, expecting, expecting as we hear the words read in church that they will become real for us, alive in our midst, and the Spirit will come upon us. What was happening to those disciples, those men and women? those followers of Christ that day in the upper room. All Jesus told them on the ascension was to wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Wait. They were waiting with expectant faith. Just as we must go to church on Pentecost Sunday with expectant faith. As we begin our Mass, we sit, we celebrate, We wait. We wait for those words to be read, to hear those words of Pentecost, and begin to feel those words penetrate us as we sit and wait and pray. Last week I told you that our church teaches that sacraments realize are produced what they indicate with signs. During our liturgy, We will hear those words, and they have the ability to realize in us what they're indicating by their own words, 
the words of God, the words of Jesus Christ, the words of Scripture. We realize that these things are happening to us, just as it is happening to the disciples. Those words account the story of the people in that upper room before Jesus died. Jesus, in the upper room, that same upper room with the disciples, said to them, It is far better for you to go, for me to go, because if I do not go, the Spirit will not come. Jesus is telling us that when he leaves and ascends to heaven, the Spirit descends upon us, and it changes us, and is with us always. He said the Spirit would glorify him. He told us that night in the upper room that the Spirit would remind us and teach us of everything Jesus ever said and ever did. He says when we sit with the Scriptures, the Spirit is there guiding us, putting us in the presence of Jesus Christ, so that we hear the same words all the crowds heard, all the Pharisees heard, all the disciples and followers of Jesus heard. It is alive. It is real. So when Pentecost came and they were gathered in that upper room, they were praying with expectant faith for this power to clothe them, to come upon them. I believe they realized what the promises were. They would have heard of the promises of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Joel. And the reason I say that is because when Peter spilled out of that upper room and the people said they're drunk, Peter proclaims, no, we're not drunk. This is simply the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. They knew what it meant. The Spirit had come. So when that day of Pentecost came upon them and they were gathering in that upper room and that strong wind came, tongues of fires appear. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. And oftentimes when we hear that passage, we look at it as one single event. But I think when you look at it again, you will find that there's actually two things happening. There was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That was the event. The manifestation of the event was the speaking of tongues and the boldness that followed. So let's talk about first this infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we'll deal with this manifestation of the Spirit next week at a different time. We will separate the two events from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So we need to look at what this infilling of the Spirit means for us. Because it says, all will fill with the Holy Spirit. That, my brothers and sisters, is the essence of Pentecost. We should all see in these simple words the great gift of grace that God has given to us. A gift promised by God, sent by Christ to us. There is something in this grace that is great for us, meaningful for us, 
for Christ that night before he died was telling us that this is better than him. What could be better than Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who set us free from the bondage of sin, who restored our relationship with God by taking away the barrier of sin between us and him? The Spirit, Jesus is saying, is even better than that. So what do we do with this great gift? This one thing that is given to us that we have not been really taught about, that we really have not been prepared to receive it, that when we sit in church on Pentecost Sunday in most dioceses throughout the United States and the world, we'll only hear that it is the birth of the church. Happy birthday, church. We eat a little cake. We drink a little punch. We say good wishes to everyone. Then we leave the church and wait for another year. Pentecost was meant to be a perpetual event. Paul VI had it right. We need fire in our heart, words in our mouth, and prophecy in our outlook. So what exactly is this gift and what do we do with it? Simply put, the Holy Spirit is the fuel that motivates us, the fuel that inspires us, this fuel that shows us where we to go, how we to act, what we ought to say. The Holy Spirit is God's love poured into our heart. So we feel forgiveness. We feel God's mercy. We feel God's love. We know that we are delightful in God's eyes, not sinful. For God has taken away our sins, and he has forgiven and forgotten them. On that day, all in that upper room were filled with the love of God. Paul tells us in Romans 5, verse 5, he says, The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts. Just envision water being poured into a glass. Not one quarter full, not one half full, not three quarters full, but filled, overbrimming, continually flowing, overflowing, continually flowing, constantly like that water from the temple in Ezekiel's vision. Flowing, bringing life to us and bringing life to those that we are near and life to those that God sends us to give witness to his love. This is Pentecost. On that day, all were filled. And unless you've ever had an experience with the Holy Spirit, this experience of being filled and loved so you understand God's mercy and love and forgiveness will be foreign to you. It'll be hard to wrap your mind around. But if we have this experience, if we open ourselves up, you will know that this love is not captured by words. It is an indescribable feeling of freedom 
of joy. It brings tears to your eyes knowing that nothing you have done can separate you from the love of God. Those words of Paul that say, neither height, nor depths, nor power, nor principalities, nor present things, or future things, can keep you from the love of God. Think about those words. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We separate ourselves because we look at ourselves as unworthy, and God looks at us as totally worthy. And no matter how old you are or how young you are, God wants you to have this feeling. I remember years ago, I was in Atlantic City at a conference, a religious conference, a conference on the Holy Spirit. Me and a group of people from my church, Sacred Heart in Bennington, Vermont, went to this conference together. An early morning on Saturday, the conference began on Friday, I was out on the boardwalk with my Bible in hand, watching the sunrise and saying my morning prayers, when a member of our group came up to me. She was an 82-year-old woman, and she sat down beside me and she's told me, she said, Dave, I want this infilling of the Holy Spirit. I've heard so much about it over the last year, year and a half, and I want it. How do I get it? I looked at her and smiled and said, you just did it. By simply saying the words, I want it, you've opened the door for it to be poured into your heart. And she said, I don't feel it yet. I said, well, let me pray with you. And using the formula that the disciples use when John and Peter go to Samaria, they went to the Christians who had already been baptized. And they asked him, have you received the Spirit when you were baptized? And the answer was, they never heard of this Holy Spirit. For they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. And they laid their hands upon them. And they prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill them. And it happened. And that's exactly what I did for this 82-year-old woman. I just asked her if I could put my hands on her. And I asked God to fill her with the Holy Spirit. And as I said those words, all of a sudden she leapt up from the seat where she was sitting. She looked me in the eye and she says, I know God. I know God. And he loves me. And she runs off down the boardwalk. This 82-year-old woman running down the boardwalk, grabbing the hands of complete strangers and repeating those words, I know God and he loves me. That's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It is an ocean of God's love. This living water poured upon us, refreshing us, cleansing us, healing us. It is the entire Trinity is present, the love of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit flooding us and touching us. Remember the words of Christ when he said, we need this baptism 
to enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to be baptized in water and the spirit. But the kingdom is not for some the kingdom is not some far away place that we will enter one day after we die. It is here among us. Jesus, when he began his ministry, ushered in the kingdom of God on earth. And John tells us that Jesus will baptize us with water and the Spirit and fire. Jesus will baptize us in spirit and fire. And if you've ever attended anything, you need to attend something like those apostles did that day in the upper room. Sitting and waiting anticipation for the power from on high to fill you. How do you get this spirit? By doing exactly what that 82-year-old woman did. You say, I want it. I want it to happen to me. I want it to happen this very moment, this very hour, this very minute. And you simply say the words, Come, Holy Spirit. Come with the fire of your love. And enkindle in me the fire of your love. And I will be renewed. That day the disciples and the 120 in that room were all filled with the overflowing love of God. And they responded in awe, in signs and wonders, and in law. I don't know if you've ever seen a painting of Pentecost, a picture. There's so many of them, if you go to the internet and Google portraits of Pentecost, you will see many of them show the disciples, the 11 of them, seated, looking serenely, finely dressed, a tabernacle in their midst, tongues of flame above their heads. No smiles, just a serene look. I believe Pentecost is so powerful. There'll be nothing serene about us. I think those kind of paintings get it all wrong. They're wonderful to look at, and they give us this wonderful religious experience we so like to be involved in. But there's one painting that I saw among many that was totally different. It showed a crowd of people, a multitude of people, not just 11 disciples. And it showed them with all kinds of postures. Some are kneeling with their heads bowed to the floor, hands on their head. Others are standing with arms lifted, tears flowing down their cheeks. Others are bowed, bowed, leaning towards the ground, hands over their eyes, the expression of joy on their face. There's complete abandonment, awe, wonder, repentance, so many different emotions in that painting. And right in the midst of all of this different postures and different looks is one woman dressed in blue with that same serene look that those early paintings showed on her face. She had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. This was not a new experience for her. 
as it was for the others. It was an awesome event for the her. It was an awesome event for them. And she understood. She understood that Pentecost goes beyond this feeling of empowerment. It is a feeling of being totally loved by God. It changes everything in how we respond to God. We look at our own shortcomings and know that we're just human. Even God says that in Psalm 78. God has mercy on us, he says, because he knows we are human. And we begin to understand all the passages of Scripture where God tells us about his love, his mercy, about the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. We will also begin to love others in new ways that we could never love them before. We begin to love because we, like God, know they're just human. And we offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us. For we understand forgiveness is necessary. And we discover the meaning of becoming a son or daughter of God. We begin to hunger for the scriptures. And like Ezekiel, we want to eat the scroll. We want to devour the scroll. Because it feeds us. It sustains us. It teaches us. It shapes us. It molds us. us. This is the role of the Spirit in our lives. But this feeling of love has been more than just an awakening. A gratifying feeling. It is as if we are sharing something greater than any love we have ever experienced on earth. It touches touches every fiber of our being. St. Luke, in his account of Pentecost and Acts, is stressing a point, and his point is this. The coming of the Spirit is the new interior law in promised by God in the prophecy of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He shows us all of this by all the references, all the references and the illusions of Exodus 19. He shows us this. Scratch this part here, Tommy. He shows us all of this by tying in what happened in that upper room with the events of the Exodus and Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's on the top of the mountain. There's wind, there's fire, and there's God. And he connects the upper room with those same wind and fire in the presence of God. He connects the dots between a past and a present, just as God will connect those dots between our past and the present as we sit in church on Pentecost. We have to remember that the Acts account begins on the day of Pentecost, that Pentecost existed for the Jews, a celebration of the harvest and a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses, the giving of the law that was written on stone. And God is telling us by having this event happen on the day the Jews were celebrating Pentecost, that he's writing a new law on our hearts, that we are his chosen people, and we are celebrating the gift of the law written on our heart. St. Augustine saw this as in a repeat of something God did earlier. 
and is now in a separate event of his own. He writes that the event that happened fifty days after the slaughter of the Lamb, then marked that night of Pentecost, that set the people free from the grip of Pharaoh, and the Pentecost happening to the disciples fifty days after the shed blood of the Lamb of God. God is now writing the law, not on tablets of stone, but the finger of God is touching our heart and filling us with this interior law. And all we have to do is say, I want it. I desire it. I long for it. Send your spirit. This connection with the old covenant on Mount Sinai and the interior law and the new interior law that Jesus spoke about is what Pentecost invites us to enter. The love of God filling us, an interior motivation moving us to embrace God, embrace salvation, and embrace God's plan for our lives. Without the Spirit, we will try to follow the external law, and we will fail. We will look for loopholes in the law. We try to stretch the meaning of the law. We try to get around the law. And we nullify the law by saying it doesn't apply to us. And we will always fail. And we will always feel the guilt of our sin. And we become burdened by a continual trying and continual failing. But with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we begin to act not out of fear of God, but out of love of God. We begin to move by the Spirit, motivated by the Spirit. Our faith after Pentecost will move us from duty to following the Spirit's lead, to following the Spirit's prompting, and allowing ourselves to be transformed into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us we are predestined to conform to the image of Jesus. Paul tells us that we have been transformed from glory to glory into the very image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. All of this by the work of the Spirit in our lives. This is original grace overcoming original sin in our lives. It will change our tendency to sin. We will overcome our sinful desires by following this internal law written on our hearts by the finger of God. This is the heart of Pentecost. This is what should happen to us as we hear those words on Pentecost Sunday. One of the effects of Pentecost in our lives is we, the hold of sin on our lives is broken by the change in our hearts. We will center on what God has done for us and we will express gratitude and thanksgiving. And everything changes for us. The Mass changes, the Eucharist changes, the readings that we hear on Sunday change, the homilies change. We begin to worship, join in the songs and worship, giving glory to God. Pentecost is more than charismatic gifts, more than tongues of fire. It is the overwhelming presence of God's love. When we experience His love, the gospel comes alive to us. And everything changes for us. 
Now let us move on. Because there are other things that happened on that day of Pentecost. So next week we will talk about those other things. We will move on to the fact that they spoke in other tongues. That they proclaimed the glory of God. That they became bold witnesses of God's love. What is that all about? And will that happen to us? This is what we will talk about the next time, next week. May God bless you, and may the Holy Spirit fill you. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great pray for us.